chapter 1, and then we're going to be parking ourselves in the book of Acts for the remainder of the night, Acts chapter 13. We're just going to pick up just a couple of verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to start out our Bible study. We're continuing in this this, uh, look into the life of Paul, the legacy of a converted man. Amen. He is a a man of God who uh, had quite a conversion experience, and I am thankful that the Lord met him on that road to Damascus, and that his life was turned around because he has had such an impact on the church. We today, amen, are still feeling the impact of, of this man whom God called and who he listened to the call of God and went full force Amen. In, in pursuing all that God had for him. So the we're going to open it here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, just a couple verses beginning in verse 12. This is Paul in his, in his greeting, his opening greeting to in his letter to Timothy. He says, I thank Jesus, or I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. He said, he, here he is. We see him. This is uh, really towards, um, towards the end of his life. He had been working in ministry for some time, but just looking back, On all of this, he says, here I am, and I am so thankful that the Lord would count me as as somebody who he could could trust with this gospel. Somebody who was before a blasphemer, somebody who was before a persecutor, somebody who was before injurious of this, this gospel message. But the Lord had grace upon me to see me, uh, to, to see fit that I would be a minister of his gospel. Amen. And I'm, uh, and when we see him here, we're going to look tonight at how Paul was mission-minded. If there ever was someone who was mission-minded, it was Paul. If there was ever somebody in all of Scripture and throughout all of history that you could look at and say that this person, that they were focused on the mission, that they were focused on on reaching this world with the good news. It was Paul. And God saw fit to use somebody who once was a blasphemer, who once was somebody who was so vehemently against this, but the Lord had grace upon him. Amen. We're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, if you want to open up there, that's where we're going to be looking at tonight and and with this theme of this this study tonight being mission minded, uh, we can really look at at any one of Paul's missionary journeys. He went on uh, three or perhaps four, you could say, if that fourth missionary journey being one on his his road to Rome, his journey to Rome. Um, but he has. We're we're going to look tonight just specifically at. The onset of his very first missionary journey, and we're gonna we can learn a lot about 
about what was driving Paul and look at that and correlate it to our, ourselves today. You know, what, what should drive us? How, how should we as the church behave and how should we as the church uh, follow after what God is calling us to do? And we can, we can learn a lot from this mission-minded, uh, or this mission mindset that Paul had. And so we're going to go here. Uh, in fact, if you want to just back up one verse, uh, I think. Uh, so this, we're going to go to uh, 12, um, Acts chapter 12, the very last verse there. I told you to open to 13, but I think that last verse in Acts 12 kind of belongs in chapter 13. It says here that Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So we have here these three men, Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. And they had been in Jerusalem. Um, in fact, if we would have kind of backed up a little bit into chapter 11, we see how uh, they were previously in Antioch. They had collected an offering in Antioch because of a prophecy that went forth uh, from, from a prophet who was there in, in the church in Antioch and said that there was going to be a need for, uh, for some funds. He said there's, there's going to be a dearth in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. They're going to need some funds. And so um, there was an offering that was taken and it was delivered by Paul and Barnabas down to the church in Jerusalem. And that's what took place in uh, beginning of chapter 12, and now we come into this and see them traveling back up into Antioch. And we see it is not just simply them of their own accord going up there, but they are being sent, being commissioned to go to Antioch. They are sent there to minister. Now this is Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria was a... Um, uh, was a, a huge cosmopolitan city. This was, in fact, it was, it was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. You had, uh, you had Rome, of course, the largest city, the seat of the empire. And then you had Alexandria, a very large city. And then just following that was the city Antioch uh, that would have been just on the northeast. Uh, if, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, it's the northeast uh, side of that. In fact, we, could we put up that first map? Uh, first map that I have, if you were able to pull that in. You can see there, this is uh, kind of going, we're not quite to all of these lines yet in this map, but Antioch right up there, uh, kind of at the starting point at the top right. And they go from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and they're getting ready to minister there. And so the time frame that we have that we're looking at is about two years following the, uh, the time when there were some ministers who had gone up into Antioch and started ministering to the Gentiles. About ten years before that the is when the church would have started in Antioch. That's about the time, just following the day of Pentecost, when there would have been Jews that were there and they were gathering now this is, uh, the, if you just kind of imagine the city uh, as a whole, you have a very large city, but there's a, a small, somewhat small uh, ghetto. I say small, it's, it's bigger than two and a half times the size of Kinderville. 
uh, but a, uh, a city uh, or ghetto of, of the, where the Jews would have lived, 25,000 people. And uh, they were there, and that's where the church would have primarily been in this very large city. Until Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Um, in fact, I, di- I didn't tell you to bring this in, but let's just, let's just go there. I'll read so that we can see what is, what is taking place. Let's, be, let's go into verse 19. Acts 11, verse 19. It says, Now when they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So we see how it was just to the Jews that the gospel had been preached. Verse 20, Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So now we see that the gospel is beginning to be opened up to the Gentiles. Now, this is not the first time it's been opened up to the Gentiles. We had already had Cornelius, that whole, um, that whole thing had, had already taken place. But this is the first time there in Antioch and really uh, kind of abroad that we see people purposefully ministering to the, the Gentile believers. And so it says in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. So they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, he had seen the grace of God, was glad. And he exhorted them, and with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. And then it tells us that he departed. Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to seek out Saul. They came back, and they all ministered, or they together ministered there in Antioch with those who had kind of started that work of reaching to the Gentiles. So now we have Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark heading back there to continue in this ministering to the the Gentile believers. Kind of building this this picture of, of what's going on, I, I imagine them going from from neighborhood to neighborhood, just just to these Gentile believers who are there, just just trying to reach for them, trying to find somebody who who would receive this gospel message. They're there, just encouraging them. They're they're finding people, and the and, and in the midst of this, they they stop for some time, and I don't we don't know exactly how long they were they were there and doing this work, but we see. That, uh, that they would come together, and those who were ministering, these, these men who were there, they would come together, and they would, they would pray, and I'm sure, you know, talk about, okay, where's, what, what's the next place we ought to go? Where, where's the next place that we should go to minister? I'm, I'm just talking within, this, within the city. What? Okay, who, hey, who, who have you been reaching? Who, who have you been teaching Bible studies to? Who, who have you been, been talking to? And, you know, what kind of disciples have you, have you uh, been able to, to begin to, to teach this gospel message to? So let's go, to, let's go back to Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, let's call Niger, uh, 
Simeon would have been someone. All, all of these men really are, uh, are outsiders, all of them coming from somewhere outside of Antioch. Uh, Simeon likely from North Africa. Uh, Niger is, is the Latin word for, for black. He was uh, likely somebody from uh, Cyrene, that area, um, along with Lucius, who is of Cyrene. And Menaean, this man's kind of interesting. Menaean was a, uh, either a prophet or a teacher who was included here as, as those who were going to the Gentiles and reaching those in Antioch. And Menaean was one who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. This is someone who was brought up in the royal family, right in the household of, the, of Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Tetrarch was not Herod the Great. That was the Herod when Jesus was born, but that was his son. And so we have this man who was uh, evidently came and heard the gospel message, and now he's here included among them, and, and then it includes Saul among them. And so we have those five, plus we know from the previous verse that John Mark was, was along with them. John Mark was the cousin or the nephew of Barnabas. So John Mark, and that John Mark, he's the one who wrote the book of Mark in uh, that, that gospel, the gospel of Mark. Uh, so he's the one. And so John Mark, he was the cousin or the, the, the nephew of, of Barnabas, and so he's with them as well. And it says, that as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, I, I just want to just pause there. We don't know how much time that all, that all took. It was just two or three quick verses there. But... This could have taken months, this could have taken years, however long they were there. They were ministering in Antioch, and all this time, they are they're coming together, and they are just saying, Lord, lead us. Where should we go next? We see them fasting. We see them praying. We see them. They are, they are being led by the Holy Ghost. They are being led by the Spirit. And this, this now... Prayer and fasting are necessary components of our spiritual walk. Prayer and fasting can unlock and reveal God's will for your life. You know, we can, we can go on autopilot for as long as we want in this church, and we can continue on, and, and you know, we may increase a bit here, decrease a bit there, and... Uh, and, and just go on autopilot and just keep doing the same thing. Or we can say, God, what is your will for us? God, I want to hear from you. God, what's the next step? God, where are we to go? And, but that can't happen unless we dedicate ourselves to prayer and fasting. We see these, these men, these, these uh, apostles, these ones who had been sent, these apostles, these prophets, teachers, who had been sent up to Antioch to minister there. And they, in this time of ministry, as they, uh, they, they felt this, uh, I, I don't know if it came by way of, of tongues and interpretation. I don't know if it came by way of just confirmation and several of them feeling this in the Holy Ghost that the Lord was saying sin. But it was very specific instructions. 
These are very specific instructions. It wasn't, it wasn't, hey, all of us need to go and go somewhere else. It was separate Paul and Barnabas to do a work somewhere else. We need to release them to go and to be led of the Spirit. Now, now this is, we're looking at somebody who is mission-minded. This is what being mission-minded is all about. They're saying, we just want to follow the Spirit wherever it leads us to go and to reach those who are hungry and ready to hear this gospel message. Whoever is ready to hear this, God send us to them. If they're here in Antioch, Lord, let us reach them. If they're somewhere else, God, send us. But if they're ready to to hear it, then send us. Send somebody so that they can hear that gospel message. See, this is a a good question. Are are we mission-minded? Paul, Barnabas, the rest of these individuals who were there, they were mission-minded people. Now, now what what does that mean? What is the mission? Well, the mission, we see it in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19. What does that tell us? This is the great commission, or the, what, what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said, go, go and baptize them. Go and, and, and preach to them. Go and teach them all these things that I have revealed unto you. Go. See, this is being mission-minded, is, is, is following after what God had told his disciples, which, in, which includes us, to go into all the world. The same message is, is in Acts 1.8. You, we don't receive the Holy Ghost just for ourselves. We receive the Spirit of God so that we could be witnesses. That's right. So that we could be witnesses. It says that you might be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, Jerusalem being the local, the very place where they were at when that message would have been sent out, Jerusalem, Judea, and the greater region of Judea, and Samaria, those places that, you know, we thought were kind of off limits, that those people, they, they really aren't included in this. No, he says, go there. Oh, the uttermost parts of the earth. This message is for everyone. See, the mission is to, is to follow the Spirit wherever it leads us and to reach those who are hungry and would be ready to receive this gospel message. See, New Life Apostolic Church, we exist to reach people where they are at, to lead them to repentance, to baptism in Jesus' name, to the infilling of the Holy Ghost, to, to, uh, to help them to understand that what the gospel is really all about. It's about transformation. And then we might deploy them as mature and equipped disciples of Jesus Christ for the sake of of their own personal transformation so that their families could, could be transformed, so that their communities could be transformed. Come on, this is why we exist. This is our mission. Are we mission-minded? Are we seeing people wherever they're at? Whatever 
their occupation, whatever they're doing right now, come on, whatever uh, stage of life they're in, are we ready to, re- to meet them where they are at? Are we mission-minded throughout our day? Are we mission-minded throughout our week? This question is, what is, what is stopping you from reaching the lost? Is there anything that you would, that you would not give up if the Lord prompted you to, to do so in order to reach the lost? Is there anything that you hold on to so tightly that if God said, you need to give that up because, because I'm trying to send you to go and to reach this person over here, to, to, I'm trying to send you, my, my will is for you to go this direction. But you, are you holding on to anything so tightly that you would not give that up in order to do the will of God? If there is anything, then you are really in the same position that the rich young ruler was in. And we ask the question, Jesus, you never asked anybody else to go and to sell everything that they had in order to be your disciple. But Jesus saw that rich young ruler and, when, and, and he knew that there was something that he held on to so tightly that, that he would not be able to truly follow what the will of God was for his life unless he just gave it up. There are some things that we hold on to so tightly that we need to loosen our grip on because God is saying, hey, these things that are in the world, they're all going to pass away. Let's focus on what the real mission is. I mean, if you were, what if the Lord prompted you to take another job just because he wanted you to go somewhere else to meet somebody and to, so that they could receive the gospel? Would we be open? Would we be open if the Lord in our prayer and our fasting prompted us to go and do something? I, uh, I would say in this here, I am thankful that there are ministers who are mission-minded. I am thankful that there are still ministers today who are mission-minded. And that they would allow God to speak to them and that they would listen even though it is against everything in their fiber and being of, of what they want to do. But yet they would, they would let go of what they had in order to follow what God's plan and will is for their life. I'm thankful for people like Brother Duffy and Sister Duffy. I'm thankful for them. He, they, they could have a, a business career and he had all that in his past. And, but he gave it up to say, God, I am going to sell out myself. Everything that I have, God, I am following your will. God, I will, I will marry this gospel, Lord, and just go. God, wherever you lead me, I will go. God, whatever you're saying, God, I trust you every step of the way. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for people that, that when the Lord impresses on them to go, that they would go. I'm just gonna. There, there are some, there are some of you, today, tonight. If I can just be blunt and honest tonight, some of you that are still upset at Pastor Arshambal because he left this church. But he felt God calling him to do a work somewhere else, and he had to wrestle with that. Now this is a church that he had practically built from the ground up. There were nine people here when he came to Kindleville. And it was because of Bible studies that he and Sister Archambault taught 
And then those people that they taught Bible studies to someone else. And, and but, but God started revealing to them a different path that he had for them. He saw, he saw God, you're opening up another door. God, and, and God had blessed them where they're at in Memphis. They fasted, they prayed about it, they sought counsel, they, they, they wrestled with God, and then they eventually moved to Memphis, and God is continuing to use them in a mighty way. I'm thankful for mission-minded people. I am thankful for people that, that they would say, God, I, I, it's comfortable for me right here, and I would stay here the rest of my life if I could, but if you have another purpose and another plan for me, then I'll go. I'll give it up. God, I'll give up my legacy. I'll give up all of that. If you're sending me somewhere else, God, then I will go. I'm thankful for mission-minded people. Amen. What is stopping you from reaching the lost? Are we mission-minded? Would you give up something that you love and hold so dearly? If God is saying, go, would you go? Will you go? Amen. I want to, let's, let's continue in this, in this Bible study here tonight. Let's look at Paul. Let's want to learn from him. Acts chapter 13. Let's continue in verse number 4. So, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed to Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. This is Paul and Barnabas, and we will find that... Um, John Mark went with them as well. So they went to Seleucia and they sailed to Cyprus. Seleucia would have just been the, the closest port city to where they were at in Antioch. And they sailed from there to this island of Cyprus. And verse 5 says that when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. If you could put that map up again, that first map that, that you had shown. You can see there how they went from Antioch over to Seleucia. From Seleucia, they would have sailed down. Salamis was the easternmost port city on the island of of Cyprus. This was a very large island country in the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, This was was the home country of of Barnabas. This is where Barnabas is from. Likely also John Mark being his his nephew. Uh, But don't know that for sure about about Mark, but uh, we do know that Barnabas came from came from Cyprus, and so he's going to his home country to minister there. And we see that uh, I, I want to look at the method of Paul's evangelism. How how did he go about ministering in this very mission minded uh, uh, mission mindset that he had? Going out, leaving all that behind of what he had just done, and being sent forth, being led of the Spirit. What is his method of evangelism? We see that he went there into Salamis. And it says that they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had also John to the minister. They preach the word of God in the synagogues. This is a pattern that we see throughout Paul's ministry. We see this pattern. Over and over, Paul goes into the synagogue. And as soon as he goes into a city, in fact, we see him bypass. It mentions many cities that it says he goes through. He bypasses them. 
and it was very likely because there was no synagogue in those cities, he would go and he would seek out the city, the closest, which would have been a, a larger city, and had a synagogue. And so we see that, uh, we don't need to pull all these verses up, but in Acts 13, uh, verse 14, we see when he went to Antioch of Pisidia, uh, he went immediately to the synagogue. And Iconium, in, in Acts 14, he goes immediately to the synagogue. Acts 17, when he goes into Thessalonica, he immediately goes into the synagogue. When he goes into Berea, he goes to the synagogue. In Corinth, in verse, or chapter 18, he goes immediately into the synagogue uh, to, to preach there. And in Ephesus, uh, the same thing. We see that in Acts 18 and 19, chapter 19. Um, he goes immediately to the synagogue when he goes into Ephesus. This is a pattern that we see. When he goes into a city, and he's going to minister to the people there, the first place he goes is to the synagogue. Why would he go to the synagogue? Well, there are, there are three groups of people. Three groups of people who would regularly be gathered at the synagogues. These are the Jewish houses of worship. These are the, the places you have the, the main temple that is in Jerusalem, but not everybody, I mean, that's not the only place that they would go to worship. Uh, they could go, they could bring sacrifices and, and do, their, um, do their worship on the Sabbath there at the synagogue in, their, in this city. And so we see, of course, that the Jews would have been the ones who were gathering there. The Jews are the ones, they're, they're the ones, they can, they can trace their ancestry back to Abraham. They're the ones, uh, I mean, they, we see the, the, the records that are even kept for us, like in the book of Numbers and other places in the, in the Old Testament, uh, of, of these, these lineages. And that's because it was important to them. They needed to be able to trace themselves back, their family tree, to know, I am of Jewish descent. So we have the Jews that would go there. You would also have the proselytes. Proselytes. There were there were Gentile believers, or there were Gentiles, who they converted, completely converted to becoming a Jew. They, uh, the the males would have been uh, would have been circumcised. The uh, they would have uh, held all of the um, the dietary laws of the Jews. Everything in, in every way. Uh, they didn't except for their ancestry. They were a Jew, and so these are the proselytes. They, um, this was uh, throughout the whole region. There were proselytes that would have gathered at the synagogues. Then there was a third category of people. The third category of people were these individuals who were called God-fearers. At least that's the term that King James uses for them. That's how it's translated. There were God-fearers. So who were the God-fearers? They were also born Gentiles, but they, they, they chose to maintain their, their Gentile identity while associating with the synagogue as best as they could in order to follow Jehovah. These are, these are Gentiles that in, in the, the only real association or the only way that you could call them a Jew is that they, they worship the same God as the Jews, but they didn't have any of the, the, the practices of, of the Jews. They didn't, they didn't Follow the same customs. All they 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 were they were drawn to that God, but they didn't want they didn't give up their identity. This was uh, Cornelius would have perhaps been the first God fearer that we see, or the first one mentioned as a God fearer. Um, but he uh, we see these these this would have been a group of people 
who would have regularly been gathering at the synagogue. Three groups of people. The Jews, the proselytes, and the God-fearers. I want to um, skip down. We could, uh, we're going we're gonna to go back and catch, uh, catch some of those scriptures that we're skipping over right now. But I want to go down to the next time that's, that Paul is at, a, is at a synagogue. And this is after he travels. Uh, he, he leaves that island, leaves the island of Cyprus, and he goes up into, into the mainland uh, up into another city called Antioch. Uh, this is it's actually one of one of fourteen different cities in that region that are called Antioch. Um, there was a a previous king in that area named Antiochus, and he wanted to immortalize himself, so he named all these cities after himself. So there's fourteen different cities. So we can get a little bit confused when you read the the name Antioch. But this is Antioch Pisidia, or in the region of Pisidia um, that, Ant, that he is going into now. So let's go down to verse 14. When they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? Say on. So Paul, he stood up, and beckoning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Okay. Notice there, the, the two, he's, when he says men of Israel, that would have also included the proselytes. They would have uh, fallen in the same category as the Jews. And we do see uh, later on where it kind of breaks them out. I believe it's verse thirty. Six or uh, somewhere down, um, it was forty-six, where it breaks them out as as the proselytes and the Jews. Uh, but he he mentions here those who are um, he mentions the Jews and those who fear God, the God fearers. He's addressing both of them, and he goes on, and this is the very first sermon, the very first recorded sermon, we know it's not the first sermon that he preached, but the first recorded sermon that we have from Paul. And Paul begins teaching them in this, in this synagogue in, uh, in Antioch of Pisidia, and he, we, I'm not going to read through all of this sermon, but uh, he goes through and he starts out by telling them of uh, just going through the, the history of, of how God brought the Israelites out, uh, bondage from from. Uh, Egypt, how he, he goes through kind of the, the lineage of from Saul to uh, then David and from David all the way down to Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ, uh, verse 23, says, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Verse 24, when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, okay? This is Paul addressing the congregation, the people he's speaking to. 
says directly here to the stock of Abraham or the Jews. But he doesn't leave out. He says, and whosoever among you feareth God. So to all you Gentile believers or Gentiles who are here, you God fears, to you is the word of this salvation sent. And at that moment, I am sh- I am certain that there were people in that place that they were shocked at what Paul just said. Because as welcome as the God-fearers would have been in the synagogue, these Jews did not believe that the God-fearers had the same opportunity for salvation that they had. But Paul, in addressing all of them, the Gentiles and the Jews, he says, all of this leads you to Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus Christ did, coming as the Savior, this gospel message, this salvation message is open for the Jews and for those of you who are God-fearers, the, the, the Gentiles who would come and worship this same God. And I am, I am certain that they were so, that there were some of them who were shocked at what Paul had just said at that moment. He continues on and he, he t- tells them of this salvation message of how, uh, how Jesus had died for their sins and God raised him from the dead. And then uh, if we can go down to verse 37, or let's go to verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. All of you, by him, all that believe, all that believe, that that includes every one of them in there, the Jews and the Gentiles, all of them that would believe can be justified because of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And... So what, what am I getting at? Because how, how does this relate to us? We're not revealing this gospel message to uh, Gentile believers who are shocked that, this, that Jesus would come for them. That's not what we're dealing with here in Kinderville or here in our, our day to day. But here's what I, here, here's what I could, could pull from what Paul was doing. Anytime he would go into these synagogues, he was finding people, he was finding individuals who they were hungry for God. Now, he said that this gospel message is for the Jew first and then also to the Greeks. So he's presenting this to the Jews first, but there are people there among them that he says, I'm going to be, I'm going to be shoulder to shoulder with, with Gentiles to whom God has sent me to preach, who they are hungry to know that they have a chance. They are hungry to know that there is a God, who this God who they are, they, they, they see Him and they, they, they like what they see, but they're not quite there yet because they don't think that they have a chance for salvation. And he's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to present this gospel message to the Jews, but if the Jews reject it, I've got some God-seekers there. I've got somebody who's discipleable. 
I've got somebody. And when I see them and they, and, and, and they uh, hear this gospel message and that this is for them too, then I'm going to jump at that opportunity and I'm going to tell them all about what Jesus Christ can do for them and how they can be filled with the same spirit that anybody else could be filled with. So what do we do? As mission-minded people, as mission-minded people, as people who are led by the Spirit, we seek out those who are hungry for God. You, when you see somebody and they've got, they, they've just got something about them and a conversation that just sparks a little bit of, of an entrance for you to, to begin to tell them about your story and how Jesus transformed your life, you take that opportunity. There's one little thing that gives you a door of opportunity to, to talk to somebody about Jesus and they're interested in it, then don't you hang up on that. Don't you let go of that. You find somebody who's like, a, like the God-fearers. You find those people who when they hear you say something about Jesus or they're intrigued by you saying something about, man, we had some good church this past Sunday, and they're intrigued by that, oh, you pounce on that right away. You, you, you step through that door, and, and it doesn't have to be in some weird, awkward way of just, you know, explaining it in some way that they don't understand and they can't relate with. No, you, you find a way to relate to them and tell them about how God is real and God, come on, that He, he can meet you right where you are at and he, can, he loves you enough to see you in your sin and in your, in your brokenness and He will take you in and God, He can fix you up. You don't have to get yourself fixed up in order to come to God. God will fix you up. God fixes you. He changes you. This is Paul's method of evangelism. He goes in to the synagogues. And he knows because, I mean, he, he knows, especially by the fourth or fifth time he's done this, that the Jews are probably going to reject his message. There might be a few of them who receive it, but the majority of them are going to reject it. But he still goes there, and he finds people who are God-fears. He finds people who are interested in this. And they hear this, and you know what they do? You know what they do? Let's go to verse 42. This is verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles, these are the God-fears, the ones who were there at the synagogue hearing this message, they besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. There was almost the whole city of Antioch, Pisidia, that came to hear the word of God this time. Now when the Jews saw it, the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas, they waxed bold, and they said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing that you put it from you, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Lord, we turn to the Gentiles. For so that the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the Lord, the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained 
to eternal life in He. If I could finish out that portion there, it says, The word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. The Jews stood up, the devout and the honorable women, the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They, the, the Jews, they kicked them out of the city. But in verse 51, it says, But they shook off the dust of their, off their feet against them, and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They walked out of that city, and they says, Yeah, there were some that rejected us. I'm going to shake the dust off my feet. We're going to move on. That was a, that was a, I found this kind of interesting in my studies, that uh, shake the dust off your feet was, was something actually that uh, the Jews did on a regular basis anytime that they would pass through a Gentile city. After coming out of that city, they would shake the dust off of their feet. This was a symbolic of them saying, I don't want anything to do with, with whatever is going on in that Gentile city. Jesus turned that around. It's not really Paul who does this, uh, just of his own accord. Jesus is the one who he told his disciples, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. Paul does it here. The Jews reject him, but the, the Gentiles receive it. The God-fearers receive it. And he shakes the dust off his feet. And he says, yeah, there's some. They're not going to receive it. That's okay. I'm going to keep marching on and keep finding those who they are hungry for this word. Time is, amen. Let's go back. We're just going to catch a couple of those verses that we skipped. I wanted to put those, uh, that verses 4 and 5 and that latter part of the chapter together, uh, just because we see Paul ministering in the synagogue in both of those places. But if we can go back to verse 6, I find something interesting, or find this interesting, as Paul is making his way across Cyprus. He's going from the east coast to the west coast, east coast where he landed on the island, and he's traveling, um, Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark, the three of them traveling uh, across over to what would have been the capital of that country of Cyprus. They're going to um, Paphos. And, uh, and on their way there, let's go to verse 6. When they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. So Elymas and Bar-Jesus, this is the same individual. Uh, somehow connected to this man, um, this man Sergius Paulus. Elymas came, and he withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. And then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. 
I just want to finish this out by saying that when you become mission-minded, when you truly become mission-minded, you will face spiritual warfare. That is to be expected. When you start acting upon it, when you are, are not just mission-minded in your mindset and, you know, thinking, you know, that, that's, that's the whole purpose of the church is what I ought to be doing. But when the ought turns into the doing, all of a sudden the devil gets a little bit nervous. And he will come against you. And there will be some spiritual warfare that takes place. We see here, this is the very beginning. This is the first missionary journey that Paul and, and Barnabas would go on. And we see them uh, going from one, one side of the island to the other. And on their way, there's this one man, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, it says, was a governor of, of that city. It's very important, high up councilman or, or some, some official of the city. Of, really, of, the, of the whole region there. And there was, it, it, it appears that Bar-Jesus was in some way attached to this man. Some way associated with this man. Now, what he had heard when, when uh, Sergius Paulus heard about Paul and heard the gospel that they were preaching, he was interested in it. He said, I, I got to hear this. The devil, he says, hold on a minute. Let's have, uh, I'm the one who's the king of this area. I'm the one who has power and control over this kingdom right here. Nobody else is coming in and taking over my territory. So we see uh, Bar-Jesus coming in and stepping in between Paul and Barnabas and, and, and between them and Sergius Paulus. He steps in and he says, no, 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 you're not winning this one. Because if you win this one, that means that I'm losing some, some control over this region. There, was, there are uh, things that in the, in the natural that we see that also happen in the spiritual. There are connections between these, these uh, uh, people and in, in regions in, uh, that, that have power and control over regions that there are the same things in the spiritual. And there was a spiritual warfare going on over that region. And when they began moving in, this devil got stirred up over the fact that Paul was entering into his region. And he says, hey, I'm going to stop you right there. You can't win this one here. You can't win Sergius Paulus. He's too important to my, uh, because, because if they see you win him, and I'm attached to this guy, or I'm associated with him, they're going to know that I don't have control anymore. Well, the good thing is, the devil is no match for God. The devil is no match for God. And so when I say, and I mention that spiritual warfare is to be expected, don't you walk in fear. Don't let that stop you from becoming mission-minded. In fact, that ought to stir something up in your spirit and say, Lord, help me, God, to just continue to walk closely in the spirit to be led by you. God, I don't want to walk foolishly, but Lord, let me walk on purpose, God, going forward. And as I encounter opposition, Lord, I 
just want to use the power and the authority that I have in the Holy Ghost to begin to break some ground, break up some ground. Come on, let's get some fertile ground that we can reach somebody. Come on, if there's some spiritual opposition that happens, come on, then I ought to get excited. You ought to get excited about the fact that there's spiritual opposition because a door's about ready to be open. Come on, wide open for God to begin. Come on, to unloose, to, to let loose of the Holy Ghost. Come on, so that we can break free some bondages that are there. And spiritual warfare began to take place. And there was this, this power struggle that was happening between Paul and Bar-Jesus. But we, we, we already read it there and we know that Paul, or rather God, won the power struggle. Paul speaking as the Holy Spirit led him says, you will be blind. Now that's something, I don't know if he said that, um, said that because that's something that he experienced himself. God blinded him. He'd already, he already knew God could do that. Or maybe it's just God, you know, that's what God's impressing on him to, to say at that moment. But, but he, he knew, God, you can blind people because you did it to me. God, if you can do it to me, then I, then I command you to be blinded right now. And God blinded this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, and because of that work and because of the, the message and the, the gospel that was being preached, we see that Sergius Paulus was converted and that he received the words uh, that they had, received the gospel message that they had to them. Amen. And so, I, I we're not... I don't believe we're not going to go through every one of the missionary journeys of Paul, but we can take so much out of this, uh, this beginning, seeing him being a mission-minded man of God, somebody who, who he goes forward and saying, God, lead me every step of the way. And along the way, I expect to receive opposition. I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm going to go in knowing that it's going to happen, but I'm going to use the power and the authority that I have in the name of Jesus and fight against it. But all the while, looking for somebody. Looking for somebody that might be hungry. Church, that's where that's what our call is today. Look for somebody. Look for a God fear. Look for somebody that might be hungry for something more. And let's step through that door. Let's find somebody and say, let me tell you just a little bit more of what you're missing out on. Because God has been so good to me. Amen. If God's been good to you tonight, could you just put your hands together? We're going to, amen. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for being so good to me. God, every day of my life, you are good. Lord, through the ups and downs, you're always good. Lord, so help me, Lord, to be led by you. Lord, help us all tonight, Lord, to be mission-minded. Lord, to find people where they are at so that we can reach them with this gospel message. Lord, so that their lives can be transformed, so their families can be transformed. God, so that this community can be transformed by the power of your name. In Jesus' name, praise God. Amen. Church, you are dismissed.